Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. All right! Whoa, I am so thrilled, excited, and honored to have the incredible team from Compassionate World Farming here on Voice America Radio. Jane Unchained, thank you for joining us. Jeff Doyle, Mandy Carter, through the magic of uh, technology, you, Mandy, are in Portugal. Jeff, where are you? Uh, I'm in North Carolina. Wow, and I'm in Los Angeles, but this is compassion in world farming. So it makes perfect sense because this is a global problem. So Jeff, start us off with your fantastic new plate evaluator, which uh, basically cuts through all the nonsense. If people are talking about saving the planet, but they are contributing to climate change on their plate, that's that's really the primary problem. Uh, Take it away. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for having us. It's really a pleasure to be here today. Um, But we recently rolled out uh, a tool called Evaluate Your Plate. Really simple, easy to use. Go to evaluateyourplate.com. And what we were really trying to do was bring a lot of the science to the public. I think if you, you know, spend your time reading research reports, environmental, you know, studies, all this sort of stuff that we do, um, the science is in, the science is clear that the best thing for the environment, for our planet, for our human health is to shift to a plant forward or fully plant-based diet. And we just want to bring that data to the public. And so what we've done is basically use life cycle assessment data, which does a real kind of scientific evaluation of how food is produced from farm to where you might purchase it, looking at six different sustainability metrics um, and comparing, we, we have two versions. One, you can take a little diet quiz and kind of compare how you're doing basically. And another is comparing real meals. Um, so you can choose a meat-based meal or you can choose a vegan meal. Um, and it will compare these meals uh, against other meals to see, you know, what the real impact of these foods are against green, not only greenhouse gases, but also water use, land use, uh, eutrophying emissions, which pollute our waterways. Um, and importantly for compassion, we actually added a sixth metric to kind of the five environmental metrics that people talk about a lot. Um, we brought in an animal impact metric. And we thought this is important to really look at the number of animals that it requires to produce, you know, the animal products that are on store shelves these days, um, because it's too often left out of the conversation and as you know, I'm sure the vast majority of animals that are farmed are in factory farm conditions, just, you know, really conditions that most people don't want to admit exist. Um, And yet there's billions and billions of animals that are in these conditions. And so we wanted to try to bring to the forefront alongside, you know, when you're thinking about how many greenhouse gases, you know, a product might have, that you're also thinking about the animals in those systems as well. Um, And so really trying to bring forward you know, all this complex science, all this complex research so that you can really compare, you know, how does a butternut squash risotto compare to, 
you know, a, a beef option or something. And unsurprisingly, you know, plant forward, plant based options always win. It's just a very, you know, the science is in, the science is relatively straightforward at this point. And we're just trying to, you know, show how that translates to reality in a recipe. So, so really excited. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And Mandy, there have been a lot of changes and sort of wake up moments. You have um, a top restaurant in New York announcing that they're really transitioning to plant-based. You have Epicurious uh, announcing that they're not going to do beef recipes. You have Vice President Kamala Harris uh, reportedly saying uh, on a visit to a a Nevada of Las Vegas um, vegan restaurant that she's dabbling in veganism. You have uh, U.S. Senator Cory Booker, who is a vegan, speaking about this. Um, do you see globally, give us the global perspective, where are we at? Because we're in the midst of a pandemic where clearly there is a connection between animal abuse, most likely eating animals in this case, and the pandemic. It's not discussed by mainstream media. However, it seems to be percolating up in sort of the um, collective consciousness that there is a connection between our toxic relationship with animals and what has befallen us as a global um, society. It's, um, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It's exactly what is happening, isn't it? We're make, we are making the connections now. Uh, so when I look back on my own um, path to uh, animal protection and going vegan, I started, started out with a love of animals. And I think that's from where a lot of people come, from, come to it from. But also there is more, there's more to it now. We can see how the way we treat animals, and that's primarily um, a massive cause of animal cruelty, is factory farming is actually all interwoven with um, uh, this huge climate crisis we're facing and something that is affecting our everyday lives. Um, our very treatment of animals um, has led to the um, COVID-19 impact that we are seeing globally everywhere now. And like you say, there's so many ways that we're seeing that people are moving towards more um, sustainable foods, more plant-based. We're hearing at United Nations level, we're hearing individuals on the street, we're hearing um, trendy restaurants going plant-based. There's so many ways now that people are seeing the impact we're having on animals, seeing the impact we're having on the planet and getting really proactive with it. And I can only see more and more of that happening as the years go on. I think it's already changed drastically, um, in, even in recent times. And it's something that um, we can all play a part in, especially with Evaluate um, Your Plate, as Jeff talked about. That's how we as individuals can help make a difference, but also looking at the bigger picture as well. So, you know, real systematic change is what's needed to our food system, isn't it? Have you thought about challenging some of these TV chefs to evaluate the plate of their recipes? Because part of the problem is that you've got these um, advertiser-based uh, networks that push meat and dairy. This is why our nonprofit, Jane Unchained News, started New Day New Chef, which is a vegan cooking show. But... Um, it's been very resistant. There's a tremendous amount of resistance in advertiser-based media uh, because look at the commercials, meat, dairy, pharmaceuticals, the three industries and fast food that would uh, suffer if people switched to a healthy diet, they wouldn't eat all those pills. 
the fast food industry would have to radically change and is adjusting now with, for example, McDonald's having a plant-based burger, Burger King having a plant-based burger. But have you thought about taking this evaluate your plate challenge to celebrity chefs and saying you're promoting this uh, much like um, doctors back in the 50s used to tell people to smoke cigarettes. Okay, you're pushing this like a pusher. And yet you are not looking at what it is doing to human health, to climate change, to the animals. Challenge people directly naming names, evaluate your plate, point out a specific recipe that they've pushed. I'm talking about the Rachel Rays of the world and the, all these chefs that um, basically um, are just doing the same old, same old, despite the fact that we are barreling toward extinction. I think it's a great, you know, it's a great idea. And what, what Compassion's kind of strategy around this is really not just to kind of focus in one area. So like this, this tool was built for kind of the general public, but we're really taking a broad approach to this work. And this idea of evaluating the plate and generating kind of this data set that you can really look at, you know, what are the real tangible impacts of these different foods started out of a conversation with a food company and just talking about how they're thinking about the environment, how they're thinking about the planet, and what does the future of food look like? And our plan is to, you know, not only build this, but also to work closely with food companies to get them to evaluate it and be, you know, have chefs all over the world, basically, who work for these companies evaluating their menus, their offerings, whether they're in store or in a cafeteria. We're talking about engagement on the policy level, and some exciting things happen in the U are happening in the U.S. Something exciting things are happening internationally. And I think you know there are, as you said, like you cited the Eleven Madison Park example, this big fancy restaurant in New York leading the way. And I think we're really in a moment of change. And what Compassion is trying to do is bring to the forefront more data, kind of more explanation, more conversation, and continuing to push that conversation forward so that you know, you kind of like start to get rid of the excuses that people might have. It's like, oh, you can't have this in fine dining. That's not true, right? I mean, look at one of like the top restaurants in the world making this change. You can't have this on like, you know, a recipe website. That's not true. Epicurious is starting to shift in that direction. And I think there's kind of precedent after precedent of this idea and like this consciousness of, of how we need to change, that it's not you know, it's not just a choice anymore. This is something that we collectively all have to acknowledge and then start to work on. And that's everybody from, you know, every individual to the celebrity <laughs> chefs. And I love what you're saying, you know, try to actually engage and really have those conversations with the influencers um, all over the media. Because I think once you sit down with folks, and I have found within food companies who are sometimes, you know, really resistant to change, their customers like X, Y, and Z, once you sit down and look at the data, everyone ends up agreeing actually and saying, okay, I understand what you're saying. I understand the ramifications of a factory farm system polluting the Gulf of Mexico and it's causing a dead zone. I understand the, the implications of fact, you know, animal factory farms on the Delmarva Peninsula polluting the Chesapeake Bay. Like there's all these different instances. It's not even just about greenhouse gases. It's about all these different parts of the ecosystem which are being harmed by our current food system as well as you look at like 
farmers aren't winning in this system, right? Like farmers aren't doing well. You have all these people in these, in these kind of factory environments who aren't doing well, who are just like workers on the line trying to make a living. The system is not good right now. And from a human health perspective, from a human like social perspective, it's not good. And what we really need to do collectively is start prioritizing the right foods and, you know, individual farmers and celebrating people who care about, you know, farming vegetables and fruits and creating a, an industry in the U.S. in particular that doesn't just prioritize, you know, farming animal feed. Let's just farm food for humans and skip the middle part. <laughs> it's just a lot. It's not that hard. And um, I'm excited because I really do see a lot of momentum. So I'm excited oh, about I the years to come. I love how you're smiling and laughing. I, I sometimes have that attitude, but I also have frustration. You oh, have yeah. right now the head of um, a dairy industry trade group, a, a dairy lobbyist as the head of the USDA, Tom Vilsack. And of course, when it became a political football and the Republicans were saying the Democrats are gonna take away your burgers, instead of saying, well, this is something we need to discuss, like, uh, the uh, Democrats are going to take away coal and uh, fossil fuels. The reaction would be, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. The reaction would be, this is an issue we need to discuss. It's a pernicious industry. The reaction of uh, Vilsack uh, and Democrats in general was like, no, don't worry about it. We're not going to take away your hamburgers. We're not. Don't. No, no, no. That's yeah. not. That's falling right into a trap. And to me, it reveals that there are no, it's a bipartisan issue. There's um, a general lack of recognition that animal agriculture is the leading destructive force on our planet. And so you have both parties, both major parties, uh, basically um, see no evil, hear no evil when it comes to factory farming and um, its impact on everything. So that's why I said, are you gonna use this incredible evaluator to start challenging people? Because look at the environmental groups. Even though Joaquin Phoenix got up there uh, during the major award season last year and said basically, spoke truth to power and some of the award shows went vegan, you still have environmental groups that are serving meat. You still have, um, conservation groups that are serving meat. There is a resistance and it's all about money because they don't want to uh, offend their donors who eat animals. And they are also in some cases as the movie Cowspiracy and others have pointed out, getting money. The new movie Seaspiracy uh, on Netflix, getting money from uh, the, the industries. So the industries have co-opted not only government, but a lot of uh, environmental and conservation organizations. So sometimes I think you have to call people out and say, because I, you can almost picture the meetings that they're having. Well, uh, oh, we got called out. Maybe we have to consider doing a vegan uh, meal for our gala this year. Um, if, if you took, let's say, a um, meal from a conservation group, that was serving meat from 2020 and evaluated it and said, look, you are the problem that you're purporting to solve. Wouldn't that put pressure on them to have to make that change? I mean, I think it's a brilliant vehicle. The question is, 
Are we going to leave it up to people to do it if they want to? Because the people who most need to do it might decide, I'm going to take a pass on that. I don't want to look in the mirror. Yeah, and that's that's exactly, we. this was just the starting place for us, really. I mean, the power, you know, I think the tool is, is, is great. I'm really proud of the team that developed it. But I'm also most excited, actually, for all the data that sits behind it, because that's really where the power comes in. And that's exactly what Compassion is trying to do. We're, we're not just kind of slapping this on the internet and saying, job done. We're working on the policy side. We're working with food businesses. We're working kind of on, and both on like the procurement side and on strategy and policy and all of that. Because as you said, there, you know, this isn't a Republican versus Democrat issue. There's really like a lot of alignment, actually, when you get down to like the real human kind of consumer level agreeing around, if you're going to choose to eat animals, how they should be treated. You know, nobody is actually, when you show the conditions that animals are currently living in, nobody is excited about that. It, It upsets everybody I've ever spoken to, right? And most people, once you start having that conversation just about treatment, and then you talk about the environment, you talk about health, you add all these different pieces up, like, I'm kind of continually just, you know, my optimism is re-energized when you actually have a chance to sit down and have a conversation with folks. And we can't get distracted by like the nonsense happening kind of on the policy, you know, like the political discussion, trying to make this a partisan issue because it's not, the science isn't partisan. And there are people who understand and believe that we need to change this system on both sides of the aisle. And what we really need to focus on is finding the champions and not getting distracted by like, you know, mudslinging and distraction methods, because you cite, you know, you cited coal, like, yes, there's like this long tail of coal that is unnecessary in this country. But at the same time, you know, everyone's shifting to electric cars, everyone's shifting in the right direction. And I think what you need is kind of leaders to step forward. And then organizations, you know, hopefully we can help along the way. And then a public who is kind of going to reject individuals who just pull that line that, you know, the only way to feed the world is through this crazy system that we have. And it's just not true. It's, you know, that heart disease is the number one killer of Americans and the number one killer of individuals globally. And we're destroying our soils because we're just dumping chemicals on like to produce animal feed. Like the system isn't working and people don't want to admit that. But I really think there's an awakening amongst the public and we're just trying to help you know now bring it to the halls of policy bring it to food businesses and get you know do exactly what you're saying which is really challenge them on the data side yeah and i think i always say honestly you know everybody says don't shame anybody oh you know gently i was shamed into going vegan howard lyman about 23 years ago i was a local news anchor and i was vegetarian and uh I interviewed him and afterwards he asked me, he said, I hear you're a vegetarian. Do you eat, uh, do you consume dairy? And I hung my head because he had just told me about the horrors of the babies ripped from the mothers and just that, that it's all part of the same system. And I hung my head and I said, yes. And he said, liquid meat like that right in my nose. And I went vegan. If he had said, well, I think maybe you should consider blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have heard it, but he, he, he confronted me. And I think these people who are be who are, completely hypocritical, uh, purporting to advocate for the environment while participating and turning a blind eye to animal agriculture, I think they need to be confronted in a clever way. Say, take this, take this evaluator, Mm -hmm. see, just check it out. 
or take some famous recipes that these chefs have done that are on the internet and do the evaluation for them. Rachel Ray, here's your evaluator on the latest dish you made. Um, And I could name many other chefs, right? Wolfgang Puck, whoever it might be. Um, So, uh, Mandy, tell us about the global outlook, because obviously I'm here in Los Angeles. I primarily deal with the United States, but this is a global problem. Is the European Union, uh, we, we, we hear all sorts of things that they're trying to ban the use of the word milk uh, or dairy, that the, that the uh, um, meat industry in Europe is, is coming after the vegan products. Give us the big picture in Europe. Um, yeah, so the, uh, the big picture is a big question. Um, it's, um, as we talked earlier, it is a very much a global problem. It isn't just, you know, about the United States or indeed about the European Union. It's everywhere. I spent many years of my um, activism living in New Zealand as well, and it's, it's very much has a clean, green reputation, and yet there's a huge amount of factory farming. The majority of farming in New Zealand is factory farming. So it is very much a um, worldwide issue, and it needs a worldwide solution as well. Uh, One of the things that we are most excited about with our work going forward is um, we are working to uh, produce a a mass global movement, which is going to be trying to challenge factory farming to get it stopped on a global level. And it's going to be looking at United Nation type change. And so this is part of forming Compassion's global work. And we're going to be getting organisations from all around the world together to work on this project with us. And we're hoping that together we can have a huge impact. So as Jeff mentions, the Evaluate Your Plate project is um you know it's more about individual change but we're also working at a bigger scale as well because when the problem is so huge we need the solution to be huge as well and so our work is um looking at food businesses convincing food businesses to have higher welfare and look at looking at plant-based alternatives then we look at legislative change and then we also look at individual change as well and when we look at the european union it does have some um more advanced animal welfare laws and more progressive things going on. There's, for example, there's a farm to fork strategy at the moment, which is kind of looking at sustainability and animal welfare and how it all fits together in terms of countries in the um, European Union. But it all, all takes time. And, you know, as activists, we can all get a bit frustrated, can't we, that all these things always take so much time to happen. But that's why we have to bring all these things together, such as individual change, legislative change, and working with food businesses, and together we will have a massive impact. Are you involved at all in helping farmers transition away from animal agriculture to plant-based agriculture? Is that something that is part of the um, model that you're working with, Mandy? Um, Jeff, you could maybe mention about yeah, that. I would say we're not, too, we're not too in-depth in that work right now, but it is part of our it is part of the strategy. I think that needs to be, it's a critical element. And I think one of the things that, you know, like the agriculture industry tries to paint activists as being anti-farmer. And I think that's really not true. I think what we really want is a farming culture in this country, which just produces good food, healthy food, and then in a way that will protect the environment. And what we're doing right now is, is not it. 
And so we would love to work both on a policy side, which I think is going to be so fundamental to this. We're going to be kind of investing more on our policy work in the U.S. kind of coming up, knowing that this is such a critical element. Um, and as well as working both to drive on the demand side as well, to really drive demand for these products and try to figure out, you know, people talk about growing wheat and corn in this country, but you can also grow lentils, right? You can also grow vegetables. There's like no reason why we shouldn't have a really booming plant protein based industry in this country. And it's really an opportunity. And I think, you know, I listened to uh, President Biden's State of the Union, he's talking about jobs. And I'm like, you want to talk about jobs? Let's talk about revolutionizing our food system here and really making sure that farmers are able to transition away from these contracts, which, you know, they're not always benefiting from. So many farmers have so much debt over uh, over their heads due to the way that the current practices on the, you know, on the factory farm system are set up that they actually can't exit it easily. They need help to be able to make good decisions. And so what we're trying to do is drive demand for these products, as well as on a policy side, drive you know, conversations around how to actually help farmers, how to help the whole country shift in this way. And you look at economic analyses, like there's a huge opportunity to create jobs, to create, you know, economic incentives to do this. There's no reason why we still have to be subsidizing dairy production like we are. There's no reason we have to be subsidizing these huge, massive farms producing animal feed. It's not benefiting the farmers and it's not benefiting Americans. And so, we need hey, to if transition. it were just a case of logic and what is right and what is wrong, this would be done already. But you have forces that have co-opted agencies of government, whether it's the USDA that I personally believe has been completely co-opted by the meat, dairy and pharmaceutical industry. You have uh, the National Institutes of Health, all sorts of agencies that are supposed to look at the facts and they're completely in denial, a uh, willful denial about this issue. So you have the Paris Climate Change Accords. And I just read an article uh, yesterday, an independent journalist pointing out it's not going to work if you don't address animal agriculture. There's a new white paper uh, published by a Stanford uh, engineer systems analysts that argues very strongly that animal agriculture is the leading cause of climate change, not 14.5% as the news media reports and points out that the United Nations really formed an alliance with the meat and dairy industry, which exerts a lot of influence on uh, the statistics that they issue. So uh, what we have is, um, a uh, you know a moral bankruptcy within the institutions, and so we cannot rely on the institutions to do the right thing. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. You talked about electric vehicles. There's a great documentary. You probably saw it. Who killed the electric car? Electric vehicles came up in the 1990s, and the U.S. automotive industry decided they didn't want to go to the trouble, and they killed it. They killed the electric car. We could all have been driving electric cars since the 1990s, early 90s. Uh, in fact, I know a couple of the people who had those and they pulled them away. And there's a, in the documentary, there's dramatic footage of them hanging onto their cars. No, we love these cars. And they, they literally destroyed them. So uh, the GM, uh, I, I, I don't want to get into companies, but the automotive uh, 
executive who made the decision later said it was the worst decision of his life. It's the same thing right now. The idea that these companies are operating in their self-interest uh, is really false. Um, they think they're operating in their self-interest. It's just uh, a fear both within the government and within industry of changing. We know that power likes to hold on to power, and that means keeping things the way they are. And this applies to the news media. It applies to uh, industry, and it applies to government. In fact, I would say of the three, industry is the most willing to change in the sense that you have JBS and you have Tyson actually creating vegan uh, product lines, uh, whereas the government is still very resistant on things like allowing children to have plant-based milk in public schools. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that just talking uh, rational arguments to people when they when the thumb is on the scale is going to have an impact. That's that's my uh, and I think a lot of people feel this way. Like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the institutional bias? Maybe you want to take that one, Mandy. Um. I think that it's, um, like you say, not everyone's going to be convinced by the rational arguments, are they? But um, some people, like me, I very much come to animal rights and animal protection from the point of view of very much caring. It's an ethical point of view. But I think when we look at the bigger scale of things, um, it's no longer um, a choice because we do face such a crisis um, that we have to change. <clears throat> and that's something that... Um, we are facing now and that has to be pushed through with decision makers because it isn't something that we can be um, wishy-washy about anymore. We need to be addressing the crisis that animal agriculture causes at the same level that we are um, addressing the crisis that fossil fuels cause. So it isn't, it isn't a choice anymore. I think that the, um, it's become more and more to the forefront of people's minds because we all sense that urgency and I think that um, we do have to remember that the collective power we do have as individuals, because we have seen change happening and change happening on a big scale, whether that being, um, you know, ending certain factory farming practices or convincing certain companies to um, stop selling cage eggs, for example. We do see big change and that big change comes from us collectively pressuring for change. It isn't all about um, the decision makers and we're at their mercy and at their power. We can collectively get together and create the huge change together. And I think remembering that and that we can be the driver behind that is important when we're thinking about the bigger picture as well. So our, our personal change with plant-based diets, but also how we can drive, save the planet, save ourselves and stop animal suffering as well. We can be part of that big movement. To that end, tell us about your efforts with salmon. And I don't really feel like we should get into private corporation names here, but your overall analysis of this huge problem. We know Seaspiracy was uh, number one film of, of, of many, many countries globally, which talks about the horrors of the fishing industry and how um, it's such a massive contributor to pollution when people are worried about plastic straws and it's actually the fishing gear that is creating most of the problems. Um, the environmental impacts, um, mind-boggling in their destructiveness. Can you tell us about Compassionate World Farming's efforts in this regard? For sure. And um, so we um, recently released a um, 
huge investigation into Scottish salmon farming. Uh, and we basically had investigators visit 22 farms in Scotland and they filmed there. They looked underwater. They looked at environmental damage happening and also the um, state of animal welfare on the actual farms. And the reason we um, targeted Scottish salmon farming is that it's sold globally in over 50 countries. And actually the US is the second biggest buyer of Scottish salmon globally. And we all know, um, you know, it's a hugely popular type of fish. You see it on menus everywhere. People, people that eat fish don't um, think, uh, give it a second glance to pick up a packet in the supermarket. So our investigation was aimed at making sure that people got the information about um, how destructive uh, salmon farming can be for the environment. So it's causing um, issues with water quality in the areas of um, where the farms are kept. Um, there's massive plans to increase uh, the, the salmon industry in Scotland by 50% in the next few years. And this is, um, this is alongside the huge animal cruelty as well. Um, I've been involved myself with animal welfare for many years, as I mentioned. But when I saw that footage, I was actually really shocked and horrified. There was pictures of the um, salmon with chunks out of them, missing eyes. Some of them looked in terrible condition and it's um, completely different to what people see in advertising. And so we released this invest investigation globally so that we could put those images in front of people so that people could really see it for themselves. It isn't, this isn't a problem that's unique to Scottish salmon. It is true for virtually all the salmon industries around the world. And there's big ones in Canada, in Chile, in Norway, and they're all farming the animals in very similar conditions. They're crammed into cages. And um, salmon are migratory animals. They would swim thousands of kilometers um, if they were in the wild. And in the cages, all they can do is go around in circles and they're killed at about two years old. Oh. And even the slaughter methods are quite um, horrific as well. So. Um, I think that when we think about fish, they're kind of like a forgotten animal, aren't they? We all, we all understand, we all know about um, how bad it is for, for chickens or for pigs on factory farms, but not many people are um, aware of how, how bad it can be for fish as well. So the first step is just making sure that people are more aware of it and um, encouraging people uh, to join our campaigns and to, you know, not to buy salmon really, because it is, it is, it can't be, salmon cannot be farmed humanely because it cannot meet their very mo most basic needs. And so, yeah, it's basically okay. such and a terrible industry. Salmon right there is an oxymoron. Yeah. Um, okay, Paige, uh, you have a question or thought. Paige? Well, um, pivoting back to the evaluate your plate, I was curious. Good morning, everyone. Um, I was curious as a mom, I was thinking about <clears throat> the schools and how to bring this education into the schools and parents. Maybe you've already spoke about this, but um, in, in increasing the awareness, we are the ones that go out and purchase the food for our families, right? Um, you know, the parents. And so how do we get this, you know, evaluate your plate into the educational system going forward, um, you know, across the globe? Thank Great you for uh, bringing this forward. Great question. And also, Jeff, how do people access this? Is it an app that you download? Take it away. Sure. Uh, so it's a great it's a great point about schools. Um, and we are doing a little bit of work, but there's also a great kind of coalition of partners who are really just focused on not only schools, but kind of all government institutions. And some folks are focused just on a city level or a state level. There's 
I, I'm really excited by all the work that is actually going into trying to adjust what's happening in publicly funded institutions. Of course, the challenge, as Jane was alluding to earlier, is it's not all based on logic or actually what's best for the children or what's best for, you know, the animals or the environment. There's lots of complicated kind of, you know, dark room deals and sustained kind of collaboration behind the scenes around what goes into school procurement contracts. And again, it's just an issue that hasn't gotten enough attention in the past, but that is changing. And, and I am, I'm, you know, I'm excited that there is so much work because it's really about, you need kind of a mindset shift and that is like a critical step. And then you also need this quantitative assessment. And as people increasingly are talking about sustainability and what that means, we really wanted to prioritize to say, it's not just about a feeling, is this more sustainable or not? It's, is this actually more sustainable? And we're not just, you know, comparing like the worst products to the best products. We did over 70 different types of foods, which you can combine into different recipes. It's all kind of ingredients to look at where, where do these things match up on biodiversity loss? What's the science on how much land these are actually using? All of that sort of stuff. And as just as you're saying, we're working with, uh, we're focused on the policy side, which to us really consider, you know, like that would fall into the policy work and trying to get government institutions to even acknowledge that these things are a problem, right? Even just like think about what it means to pollute a river and how, you know, there might be runoff from a farm. Like Can so I much of this thinking is, yeah, yeah, please go ahead. A great thing. How does it work? Like, do you actually take, do you have to measure the calorie count, the ounces? Uh, do you take a, uh, let's say a, a hamburger patty from a cow versus a hamburger patty from, yeah. how, how does it work? How do people get it? Yeah, so so we so just go to, to evaluateyourplate.com. It's just an internet tool, like a web-based tool, so you don't have to download a new app. Everybody can access it, works on mobile and you know desktop if you're on a computer. Um, and what we have now is 20-some recipes that we pre-built into the what's called the map your meal kind of channel of it. And it's really just a starting place. Like we launched the tool, but I really consider this a beta because the, the you know, the data is all right, but really this is just the first step of really trying to use this data to influence everything from school lunches to, you know, what you might eat at your, your work cafeteria or what you might eat at the ballpark or something. We're trying to get food businesses to take this into their internal accounting to not only evaluate kind of what you're procuring at, you know, a global level, but really like, what are these individual offerings look like? How, where's the hot spots we call them? Like what's, what's a hot spot meal that it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this item is so, you know, environmentally destructive. Let's see what we can replace it with. Okay, and I let's not just swing to the middle. Let's swing all the way over, try a plant-based option. You can look at the economics around how much growth, how much interest there is at the moment. And we just need to keep the, you know, keep pressing the gas on that. Sorry, Jane, go ahead. No, no worries. I mean, there's a lot of people who are talking. Kathleen Wiley says schools are very resistant. I've been trying to get my boys school for the past three years. Yes. Uh, one of the most frequent complaints we hear at Jane Unchained is schools being resistant and um, essentially uh, regarding uh, kids who want to be plant-based, 100% vegan as somehow, oh, they're doing something wrong as opposed to this is the healthiest diet and look at the other kids uh, and um, look at the health stats of the vegan kids. 
Uh, now, let me, I, on a totally different note, I just had a thought. You, yeah. you talked about these uh, hotspots, right? Well, obviously the hotspots would be fast food meals, okay? So um, I'll never forget when I started looking at some of the uh, calories in some of these uh, typical fast food meals, I was just blown away by the calorie count. It's like, in some cases, it's like double the daily dietary requirement of calories for a human being in one meal. So no wonder two thirds of Americans are overweight or obese. What about taking some of the most popular meals and putting them through the calculator and actually naming corporate names and saying this fast food restaurant is advertising this Here are the repercussions of that particular meal. Because one thing that you see is that you'll hear uh, cable news uh, anchors from across the political spectrum, but it's particularly, let's say, progressive. They're talking about climate change and the Paris Accords. Then you'll see a commercial for a fast food place with the meat and the dairy dripping, and it's a complete disconnect. But If you could take that 30-second commercial, the meal that they're offering, and do do the evaluator for them and then publish that with all the impacts of that particular meal, I think that would be very powerful. I guess what I'm saying is I think you're going to have to do some of the evaluating for the the worst offenders who are not going to want to evaluate themselves. They're going to do everything uh, it, 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 you don't ask a, uh, a, a person who committed a criminal act to come in and, and do your prosecution for you and your detective work for you. The detectives do the work, and based on the evidence they collect, they arrest the suspect, not the other way around. Jane, I think you're listening into some of our meetings because we're talking about doing just this. And it's not, and, and I think on, in certain companies, you can not only put kind of the worst offenders on that analysis, but some of the, what they're new, newly adopting, right? I mean, so many companies are what, you know, they talk to us about like testing these products out. Some have done kind of big launches. Other folks have like, you know, introduced a product which they've taken off the menu because it like didn't sell quite well enough, whatever. But we want to like even say like, if you're going to this restaurant, you have kind of option A, which is bad for you and bad for the environment and bad for animals. And then you have option B, which is good for all those things. And they taste pretty much the same, right? I feel like um, we're, we're really thinking about as I said, this is kind of just the beginning for us around this work. Um, And we've been talking about these issues for a long time, but why I'm so excited about this is it's just really helping us bring in like, you know, an argument that you can't really argue with because it's the science behind it. And we can look as you're saying, it's, it's about the health considerations here for individuals. And it's also about the environmental impact. And like, if you look at um, this this big report uh, was published in the in the Lancet uh, Medical Journal a couple years ago called the Eat Lancet Commission, and they did a study basically looking at where the food system needs to evolve to be able to, you know, actually be able to, to feed the 10 billion people that we'll have on this planet by 2050. And that analysis, you know, nutritionists, world leading nutritionists were a part of that study, and they determined that shifting to a largely plant forward, if not fully plant based diet would save would prevent 11 million deaths a year. It, it's just like it's a crisis that is impacting humans, kind of whether you care about the environment, whether you care about animals or not. It's really like it's about human health, too. And I think that is 
something that we just need to keep reinforcing. And as you said, we're going to do some more kind of using this data to yeah. be a bit louder because about I, the look, issues. I get outraged. I, I watch the cable news and then I see these chicken wars. Okay. And uh, these new meals that uh, drop extra, like how many calories can we get? And I'm like, well, nobody, nobody is holding these people to account. And it can be done in a very civilized and polite manner, simply with the facts. We've put this meal, this whatever kind of, they always have a name for it, meal through the uh, animal of value, the, uh, the, uh, evaluate it, your plate. <laughs> evaluate your plate, sorry. Evaluate your plate. And here's what we've come up with. Uh, how many uh, gallons of water, uh, the impact on the health, the impact on climate change, the carbon footprint, boom, and then issue a single news release on each one of those, each one of those, because these companies base their entire company around the hot meal that they're pu pushing at the moment. And, and if you come at them from that, it's like the star of their show. That's their star. And they're doing everything they can to push that star because, you know, it always has to be new, new, new. They've always got to have a new and improved product, uh, quote unquote, new and improved. It's not improved, but a new and improved product that they're pushing because they figured out that people are not always going to want to gravitate towards something new. So if you hit, hit them with this evaluator with these new products, um, I think it would be really interesting and it could get some good coverage because you're kind of doing the reporter's work for them. They don't have to sit there and, and do any kind of research. You've done all the research. It's sourced and there it is. And calling on these companies to say, you know, it's irresponsible in today's world where we're barreling toward extinction. Climate change is going to make the earth uninhabitable in, in uh, not too long from now if we don't do something. And this is what they're pushing. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think that that would be, I think it would be very powerful. I think it would be very, very powerful and very polite. All you're doing is laying out the facts. It's, it's just the data. I know. And that's, that's what, you know, kind of why I'm excited about this, because it's not, you know, it's, it's not just a feeling, even though I feel very strongly about this. It's like, let's really look at the facts. Let's compare A to B. And there's a clear winner. And I think when you like look at all of these different issues, it's just like if you if the left side of your chart is the heaviest kind of Im environmentally impactful foods and the right side, the left side is all filled with animal products. And it's not just beef, you know, beef gets talked about all the time. Yes, it's bad, but also farmed fishing is really, really bad for the environment. Chicken production, it's so concentrated that that all that, you know, all the output of that production has to go somewhere and it's often going into our river systems. And I think some of those issues that you know, global warming is kind of an existential crisis and there's lots of arguments about it, but like you can't argue that the Chesapeake Bay is being destroyed. And you talk to local residents, whether they believe in global warming or not, I'm sure we'll be able to look out, you know, to the, the great kind of American, you know, like the Chesapeake, I grew up in Virginia, so I was very close to it. And you talk about local, local, you know, people around there can just see it in the everyday and you see it in our river systems. And the, the, the food system that we have right now has so many kind of tentacles out that people just aren't thinking about those impacts. And yet 
the solution is going to take some investment, but it's actually pretty straightforward. And you can actually look around the world to people who don't prioritize like animal products in the same way that we do in the US and Europe. People can, you can be perfectly healthy and strong and have like, you know, kind of smaller scale farm operations that are more fair to farmers. Like these systems exist around the world. And in some ways, I think like uh, Americans, you know, speaking for us have to eat some humble pie around what it, what a really good farming system looks like and how we can think a little bit differently so that we're not one of the most destructive forces on the planet that we actually, you know, invest in the people and invest in our environment. And that answer is plant forward or plant based. And it's what the science says. I think when you sit down with people and really have a conversation, that's what's every, what everybody heart really will say at the end of the day. And I think one of the, the scariest things that I deal with is while we're trying to work on relatively incremental improvements for animal welfare, such as moving to cage-free eggs or trying to get chickens who are eat, you know, bred for meat to have some more space, folks are now pitting small welfare improvements against sustainability targets, saying, oh, yeah. well, we can't improve the welfare of animals because they'll, they're, they'll grow at a more reasonable rate and that will harm greenhouse gases. I'm oh. like, no, 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 go all the way <laughs> over. Are, Let's go yeah. all the way. <laughs> Those are scam artists. Alan Savory, who started this regenerative agriculture with uh, cattle, he killed um, tens of thousands of elephants. And he says it, he admits it in his own oh, TED no. Talk. Um, I would say once you've done that, your credibility is shot forever. Christina, your question or thought, Christina. Hi there. Yes, um, I just uh, was able to chime in and, and hear part of the program. It's so impressive. Uh, your information, this is going to save our planet. So thank you all for doing what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I guess um, I, I just sometimes feel uh, frustrated on we're Everyone who uh, work in you know animal rights issues and uh, environmental issues and uh, wildlife and um, yeah saving the planet and humans, it just seems like we're all working on such you know honest um, grassroots authentic ways, um, which is is the way to do it. And but are there any shortcuts? Um, I mean. There was a comment about schools being so resistant. I mean, it makes no sense at all. Um, so I'm wondering, is it because the schools are really they're operating on a different plane where they'll change and they'll do things differently, but they need to get paid? They need kickback money or something? Like, what are some shortcuts? And is, is there anything, any other methods that we could employ to... Um, I don't know, maybe speed it up a little bit. <laughs> well, Christina, thank you so much for your question. And of course, your frustration is very understandable. I think we've all experienced it. It These people who can uh, deconstruct the nuances of the Mueller investigation or a NASA flight to Mars uh, can't see the obvious thing that 7.9 billion humans raising 80 billion land animals every year, not to mention fish, fish puts it in the trillions, and killing them all is unsustainable. Bill Gates recently said we have to switch to synthetic meat, which is another way of just saying we have to go plant-based. Mandy, you have some huge projects, Compassionate World Farming in the European Union. Uh, you've raised huge numbers of signatures. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so we, um, we recently um, completed a European citizens initiative. And this is like, I guess you can kind of think of it like a mass petition, but there's a lot more to it than that because it's quite, it's quite technical and there's lots of details needed from people. But it's basically a mass movement, an official European Union petition, um, and ours calls for an ends to cage farming. Um, you have to get over a million signatures and then you basically get a hearing at the European Union. Um, and we got 1.4 million verified signatures and we're only the sixth ever to reach this target. And so basically we're going through the process right now and we just had the hearing where we had commissioners at EU level listening to our appeal and um, European citizens appeal to end cage farming. So this is, um, you know, this is what can happen when we come together, the sheer scale that of a movement of change we can we can create and it's going to we hope that this will happen at european union level this year and any change that happens in one area of the world can impact others so you know we can see this happening in the us in um, in parts of asia all over the world we can eventually see an end to factory farming it isn't only an ethical issue anymore because we all understand that as people that care about animals it's it's cruel it's disgusting but also it's bigger it's about how we're going to overcome one of humanity's biggest challenges and that's the climate crisis that faces us right now and um, destruction of our natural worlds we have to get factory farming in that conversation and make sure it's heard wow uh mandy carter compassion of world farming that is so impressive what a monumental achievement and you're saying it could happen this year well is there a vote that occurs what agency votes? yeah so it so it's um it goes it does go for a vote um, and we should hear the results, the commission's kind of response to the call from citizens by about the end of June. Um, we won't have an actual ban this year, um, but we hope that there could be one put in place. So that could be, that could see pigs out of farrowing crates. It could see hens out of cages. Um, there's also calves in cages and geese. There's lots of animals like rabbits that are caged in the European Union. So the sheer impact could could see over 300 million animals not farmed in cages every year. So it's about, um, you know, looking at the bigger picture, but, um, you know, basically the crisis is so bad, we are attacking it on all levels. It's looking at the policy stuff, looking at what food businesses are doing, and then, you know, extrapolating those changes across the world. So our hope is that this years long campaign of End the Cage Age could see significant change happen at European Union level this year. So we're keeping our fingers crossed. And more than that, you know, we're keeping up with the lobbying and making sure that decision makers hear what people, regular people, the public want them to do. They want them to take monumental change on this. They don't want to see animals um, farmed in this cruel way anymore and they want them to take drastic action to save our planet because that's what it's come down to now drastic action is needed because it's so bad i just want to thank both of you so much i know you're very busy people we're out of time here on voice america radio facebook um just absolutely overwhelmed by the incredible work that compassionate world farming is doing support compassionate world farming you can see it's a global effort. I'm so excited about all of your projects. It's hard to pick which one to be most excited about because they're all super fantastic. Thank you. You guys are my heroes. Uh, Mandy Carter, Jeff Doyle, Compassion and World Farming, the whole team, carry on. And thank you for spending this time with us today. 
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. Thank you.